Today, I'm going to introduce you to a man I believe will be one of the most important men of 2024 and 2025. He is a man forcing the great awakening among black Americans. I cannot wait to introduce you to this man. I cannot wait to do today's show. Let's get to it. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining me. Man, am I excited about today's show. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Fall in love with beef, chicken, and seafood all over again by subscribing at GoodRanchers.com. Use my promo code FEARLESS to get $240 in free bacon with your order. <laughs> good Ranchers, it's so good to have you guys back. And it's even better that we got him back on a day when we have, let's uh, bring Vince Everett Ellison up on camera. Uh, Vince is a prolific writer and historian, and I believe uh, one of the most important voices we have in 2024 and moving forward. This man is the definition of fearless. The definition of fearless. Vince, Say hello uh, to my audience quickly. I, I, I got to take care of preborn, but I, I couldn't wait to get you on screen and let everybody know this man you're looking at, he's really important. Say hello to my audience, Vince. Jason, man, your audience is great. You're awesome. Look, man, I've been watching you for years, and I am just so honored and tickled to be on your show. When I heard I was going to be on Jason Whitlock's show, I said, I have finally arrived. <laughs> happy to be with you, brother, and I'm happy to talk to your audience. Awesome. Stick around. Uh, guys, you know our purpose here. You guys know how we feel about preborn. We know how us as fearless soldiers, what we believe, life begins at conception. No organization uh, supports, reflects that worldview better than preborn. Preborn provides expectant mothers who are considering abortion an ultrasound. They introduce that woman to the baby developing inside of them through their heartbeat and through an image. Once that woman is introduced to her baby in the womb, she is now twice as likely to choose life. And that's where preborn steps in and steps up and supports that woman through her pregnancy and then supports that woman and her baby through the first two years of life outside of the womb. Diapers, baby food, carriages, all that stuff that a woman needs to get through those first two years that the baby needs. Preborn steps up and supports all of that. That's where our money goes. That's where we come in. That's why we support preborn. Whether it's $28, $280, whether it's $2,800, our money goes to pay for ultrasounds and supporting that woman once that baby is outside the womb. We, the money isn't blown on mid-level executives. You guys have met Dan Steiner. We've had him on the show. He's a guy we can count on and rely on. He's high integrity. His organization is flawless. That's why we gotta continue to support Preborn. There's two ways to give. Pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. Or give the way that I prefer to give, 
preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. Speaking of slash fearless, uh, Vince Everett Ellison. Man, uh, thank you so much, Vince, uh, for making the time. Uh, Vince has a documentary that's been out, uh, Will You Go to Hell for Me? We're going to, I'm gonna wait a second before uh, getting into the details of that documentary because I want, I, I need to learn. I, I wanna know some of Vince's background, how he got here, his research, his education, the whole nine yards, because his documentary and his conversation that he's promoting around Martin Luther King's legacy is very, very important. So Vince, if you could just, where'd you grow up? What, what, you know, what type of family did you grow up in? What did your parents do? Give us some of your early background on Vince Ellison. Well, Jason, thank you so much. Man, I was born on a cotton plantation in Haywood County, Tennessee. My father was a sharecropper and um, he worked hard and, and bought us out of poverty. Uh, he got involved in the insurance industry. Uh, as you know, back in the day, black people did not have, they didn't deal with banks and they, they didn't have any type of checking account. So when uh, Al Ross was a black man in Haywood County, Tennessee, and he was delivering life insurance to black people and he needed someone to go and pick up the uh, money and, and uh, uh, every month. And it was called a debit route. And my father was a very honest man. And, and Al Ross, a black man, hired him to go on this debit route, pick up his money. And my father took that and he started his own independence insurance company, bought us out of poverty. And he was so thankful to God that we started a gospel singing group, me and my, uh, me and my six siblings called the Ellison family. And we went around the South singing good gospel music all around the South. And uh, after, after that, I went to college at the University of Memphis. Uh, but then after that, I started working in a prison in South Carolina. And the prison was called the Kirkland Correctional Institution. And that's when I got my real education. And this was during the 90s when the uh, Clinton-Biden uh, crime bill was locking up all of these black men. As a matter of fact, in South Carolina, in the 80s, they had three prisons. By the end of the 90s, they had over 30. And, you know, they had, they, they had passed this $40 billion crime bill. And they was locking up these black men all over the place. And I asked the black intelligentsia, I said, man, why are these young black men being locked up like this? And of course, it's the old refrain, right? Evil, rich, white Republicans hate black people and locking them up. Now, I was young and naive. And I said, really? So I, I stopped working at the prison and worked there five years, started a nonprofit, went down into the black community in the ghettos, and I found something pretty interesting. When I got down there, I didn't see any evil, rich, white Republicans anywhere. You see a leprechaun or a unicorn before you see one. But what I did see was a lot of black folks making a lot of money off the chaos. And there was these three entities that was, that was getting rich off of it. And I called them the Iron Triangle, and I wrote my first book about them. They were most black preachers, most black politicians, and most black civil rights workers. Now, Book Authority gave this book number 61 on, on the top 100 books about politics ever written. It blew the top off the fact that the white conservative was the enemy of the black community. And it showed that we've been sleeping with the enemy for the last huh, 200 years. But these, this iron triangle is a conduit between rich white liberals in the Democratic Party, you know, the, the atheists and the Marxists and the perverts, and, and they are conduits between them and the poor black people that live in the ghettos. And the black preacher, the black politician, not all of them, most of them, their job is to make sure that black people vote for the Democratic Party by hook or by crook. Their job is to keep them ignorant, keep them uneducated, keep them fearful, keep them inebriated, but make sure 
that by using souls to the poles, street money, uh, uh, a bottle of liquor and a pork chop sandwich, intimidation, you name it. Vote for the Democrat Party. That was my first book. And that's how I got to where I am right now. So I've written two two good books, uh, two great books afterwards. I've signed with Simon and & Schuster. And I've, I wrote 25 lies, uh, 25 of the Democratic Party's most doubtable, seductive lies. And my latest book came out in October called Crime Inc. And I talk about a Democratic Party. It's like a mafia crime family. And that that's how they do business. And I and I, as you said, I have, I, I have I've, I've done my documentary. And I've been going around the country trying to wake up black people, but also trying to let white conservatives understand that with all of this assault that you're having, you know, your racist, your homophobia, this, that, the other, don't listen to it. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I cannot be intimidated. I cannot be frightened. I cannot be, uh, you telling me about white supremacy? I don't believe in white supremacy because there's nobody superior to me. I'm an heir of Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. So I walk around here and I spread this message all over America, hoping that people will hear it. And I think that we're having some impact. And you will allow me to come on your show. And I know you've been doing it longer than I have. But you and I being able to talk like we've been talking, going into the community, talking like we've been talking, having the access like we've been having access is making an impact. And let's keep going. Vince, I, I, I want and I love that summation, but I do. I want to go back to the beginning a little bit because I really I do think you're vitally important. And so I, I want the audience and I want myself to understand you. Six siblings. Where do you rank yes. in that sibling ranking? How many brothers and sisters? It's, y'all were the gospel Jackson five. Your, your, your <laughs> daddy was the gospel Joe Jackson. Yes, he was. Spend a little time. To, spend a little time talk, t- walking us through your childhood. Yeah, man, it was the it, it was a southern black childhood. You went to church whether you wanted to or not. You obeyed your parents whether you wanted to or not. And my family has been greatly successful. My father is eighty one years old. Still alive. He had a heart attack at the age of 55. They killed everybody in the world that ever had it. They told me he needed a heart heart transplant. He told them. I heard him tell the doctor, I'm not going to need a heart transplant. My God is going to take care of me. And he is a walking miracle. That was over 25 years ago. My mother passed away 12 years ago from cancer. He's gotten remarried. And he has done so well in his hometown in Brownsville. He's gotten citations from Congress, uh, from the Senate of the United States, and also from the President of the United States of America. He started a gospel um, uh, uh, a gospel radio show that lasted almost 30 years. And he, he, he he's a philanthropist. He's a living legend from where I came from. And he started on a cotton plantation in Haywood County, Tennessee. But he aspired, man. And he had that mindset where he would look at me and my brothers and sisters and say, if you're not going to do it right, get out the one and let somebody else do it. He was an absolutist. I need this done by this time. And if not, I'm going to deal with you. And he would deal with you. But see, Right now, that type of discipline is being run out of the household because they don't want men anymore. They want emasculated men. They want to say the masculinity is toxic. Well, if masculinity was toxic, my father would be poisoned because he was he was completely <laughs> masculine all the way. And he taught me and my brothers to be the exact same way. But, yeah, it was that upbringing where, you know, he taught us three three part harmony, taught us how to play our guitars. We stood in church and we sang, and church was the pinnacle to our life. I mean, the absolute center, all of it. It wasn't the preacher. It was the church itself. And I want to make this clear. There is no black church. There is no white church. There is one church, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. And what they've done 
They've taken our church, which is they call the black church, and they made it an arm of the Democrat Party. And it has become mostly apostate with black liberation theology and the politics, allowing all of these, these, these crazy white liberals to come into our church and turn it into the wing of one of the most evil organizations in the history of the world. And that's the Democrat Party. As I've said before, a party of perverts, liars, psychopaths, and anti-Christian bigots. And I ask the question, and I still ask it, can you vote for this evil institution and think you can stand before God and say, I voted for a party that said, I'm going to castrate little boys and call them little girls, cut off the breasts of little girls and call them little boys, abort children up to the ninth month. Disarm law-abiding citizens in war zones, allow fentanyl, drug trafficking, sex trafficking to come across that border where the fentanyl kills over 100,000 Americans every year. Yeah, that party. And you're going to stand in front of God and say, I knew that if I voted for this Democrat, he was going to kill these children. God says, you knew that and you voted for him. You say, yes, I did. Well, you're complicit in murder. Because if you want to know what evil is, I'll make it easy for you. Evil is anyone that would harm a child. And Jesus Christ said, anyone that will harm one of these little ones is better than a millstone be tied around his neck and he be thrown into the sea. Well, I hope these Democrats can swim. Your brothers and sisters, do you guys still perform? Do you, do you, and, and I'm asking that for a real reason because I may want to book y'all. Do, do y'all still sing? No, man, not really. We, we get together sometimes. It's it amazing. My father called me. Let me see. Uh, it was last year, right before Labor Day, about two weeks before Labor Day. He said, hey, Vince, what you doing weekend of Labor Day? I said, nothing, Pop. What, you, what, 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 what do you need? He said, well, your brothers are coming down, and we're going to have a jam session. And I want you to come to the house, and we're going to just get pick up the guitars and play well, I live in Virginia. My dad lives in Brownsville. It's about a 12-hour trip. And I said, okay, daddy, I'll be there. Got went down there, me and my brothers, and my father picked up the guitars. We called our aunts and uncles. We just sat down in the living room and just played good gospel music and just enjoyed ourselves. And we all agreed, one of the best times we've ever had in our lives. So we'll just get together sometimes, Jason, and we'll just pick up the guitars and play and sing and just thank God because he's been so good to us. What did you study at, at the University of Memphis? What did you yes. study there? It was just business. I was going to school, Jason, just to be going. And I did not know what I wanted to do in my life. But when I started working in that prison and I saw these young black men in jail like they were in jail, and I understood that if I, had, if I hadn't had a strong father, that the odds are I would have been in there with him. It broke my heart. And that's why I started wondering what had happened. Because we have been told that if we follow the edicts of the Democratic Party and of the civil rights movement, that we will overcome. And I looked in that jail and I saw that not only had we not overcome, we had regressed. And I, I, it, it amazed me because for the five years that I was there, I didn't try to get a promotion. I didn't try to move. It was a laboratory for me. I was taking notes. I was talking to inmates. I was trying to figure out, man, how did you end up here? And most of them didn't have a father at home. Most of them didn't graduate high school. And they were all just victims of the ghettos and of the machinations of the Democratic Party. And that's when I started putting one and two and three and four and five together and found out it was an iron triangle. And the black politician and the black civil rights worker and, 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 and the black preacher that was behind most of this.
And um, Vince, I know this is a personal question, but I got to ask because, again, I, I just I want to know. Married, kids, how long you been married, you know, your, your family situation? I'm, 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 I'm married, man. I have, I have beautiful daughters. I have three beautiful daughters. My, uh, a wife is a, my wife is an attorney. She's a, she's, she's a lawyer. She's a very, very beautiful, nice, uh, God-filled woman. And, and she believes exactly what I believe. And that is what our Bible tells us. All things are possible if you believe, but you must believe. And from my family, that's where everything comes. They ask, why, do, why are we so successful? I said, we're kind of common in a lot of areas. The one place where we are very uncommon is that we believe. We just believe that all things are possible. And we are accomplishing our goals and we are walking. We're, 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 we're walking in the direction of our dreams. And we're being, being very, very successful at it. All right, I, I want to get to your documentary. Uh, I watched it this morning. Uh, I, I want to play for you guys. Don't we have the uh, trailer? I want to play the trailer. It's about two minutes. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. Uh, and it, it's a great summation uh, or a great representation, obviously, of the documentary. Can we, do we, we do have. Yeah, let's play the trailer. The Democratic Party is the evilest organization in the history of the world. Since their inception in 1800, they've been the party of slavery. Then, after slavery, they became the party of the Confederacy. After that, they started killing black people during Jim Crow era. You're voting for a party that tells you they are going to abort children up to the ninth month, castrate little boys, and call them little girls mutilate little girls and cut off their breasts and give them puberty blockers. And you don't think you're gonna be held responsible? As we look at the Democratic Party and the chaos that they've reigned on our community, our young men, our young women, I have to ask you to look at what they've done to us. Look at what they've done to us. Look at what they've done to us. Democratic Party is a death machine. Whatever they rule, they destroy. That's what they do. They destroy. They decided to try to infiltrate the black community and they didn't have any success until they met somebody. Who did they meet? Martin Luther King. And this is where we went wrong. He made sure that he bought the black vote to the Democrat Party. They used the black vote to commandeer the most powerful country in the world. He who the son has freed is free indeed. Once you accept him, you are free. Anybody in the Democratic Party that tells you any different, he's a liar, he's an apostate, he's the front of God, and he should be rejected by any Christian walking on this earth. And he's inviting you to go to hell with him. Don't go with him. Don't go. Vince, I, I've watched that trailer a dozen times. 
And each time you do that third look at what they've done to us, I get chills and tears well up in my eyes. And cause I get emotional. It does, it does trigger me. Vince, I think, and having watched the documentary, the full thing this morning, I feel like the things you're arguing, everybody knows is true, but people are reluctant to admit a mistake, that they've mm -hmm. been slaves to the Democrat Party, and it's been a mistake, but people don't like to admit mistakes. They, 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 just, mm -hmm. they just don't. And then part two is you're so bold with it and you're so just committed to truth that you went after the sacred cow, MLK. And that makes people reluctant because he's an idol that they worship and they don't want to let that go either. Their, their thoughts and affinity for MLK is too difficult or they're struggling with that level of truth and boldness. Uh, but, but I think, again, I think most people know what you're arguing is true. They don't want to admit it. And the going after the MLK. But, but I almost think it's necessary. In order for us to walk back from the 1964 Civil Rights Act, we're going to have to deal with the truth about what MLK's true legacy is and what he actually put into place. We have to deal with that. It's painful, but we have to deal with that. Yeah, Jason, it was difficult for me. Like you, you know, you brought up in the house, so you probably had a Martin Luther King picture hanging up in your living room or your house flat, just like me. <laughs> uh, you heard me say inside my documentary, I had a, I had an Aunt Jenny. Uh, she was older, much older than I was. She's a very, she's almost in her 80s. And she lived in an old house with a wood heater and no running water. And she had two pictures in her house, and one was Martin Luther King Jr. And he's an icon in my house. And I kept trying to find a way around all the stuff I was hearing and all the stuff that I was reading and all the things that were happening. But as I said in my documentary, it was like what happened between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. When Tolkien finally, when C.S. Lewis was an atheist and Tolkien finally told him that Jesus had to be a maniac, and crazy and insane. Oh, he was exactly what he said he was. And so I had to look at what was being said about King. And I said, you know, I read Ralph, Ralph his friend's, his best friend's book. It was, it, it, it was Ralph Abernathy. The walls came tumbling down and said that uh, the night before he did the mountaintop speech, he slept with two women and beat up and, 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 and beat up another one at, at the Lorraine Motel. So he beat her up, slept with two other women. I, I, I read the, the book by um, uh, um, uh, uh, Parting the Water of uh, 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 American the King Years by um, uh, um, uh, his name was Taylor Branch. He was a Yale graduate, Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, Bill Clinton's roommate at Yale. I read um, uh, Bearing the Cross by Garrow, who was a, 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 a scholar of Martin Luther King Jr. His book won a Pulitzer Prize. I read the Jackie O book where she said that uh, Martin Luther King was a horrible, terrible person. Read the FBI files. I just got through reading Jonathan Eag's book on King that came out this year. And all of them say the same thing. And I have to say, is everybody lying on him? Or is he what they say he was? And they were saying, not me. I was four years old when he died. I never met him. I'm going by something that these Democrats wrote. And this, these weren't conservatives writing these books. Jason, these were Democrats, very liberal Democrats writing this stuff about King. And I'm saying if everything they said about this man is true, 45 girlfriends, orgies, gay sex, um, uh, um, drinking, drunk, outside children. I mean, this guy was more like Rasputin than Jesus Christ. 
And again, this is not me writing it. This is this is socialists and 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 Democrats and we shall overcomers writing this stuff. And so as I started reading it, and then you know I was going to the Lorraine Motel to just keep my studies up about King, and they were playing the "I Have a Dream" speech, and it was looping at the Lorraine Motel. And my wife said, "Come on, Vince, we got to go." I'd watched it two times because King really rocks this speech, right? And then I heard King say something in his speech. I heard him say a thousand times. You know, the old Thomas Wolf line, right? You hear a thing a thousand times before you see it once. And I heard him say something that I said, this is the poison pill. I just read John Locke's book two weeks earlier, the, the, uh, um, the uh, Second Treaties of Government, where he was talking about freedom being an unalienable right, that it was irrevocable, non-transferable, and unsellable. And so this is still fresh in my mind. And I heard Dr. King say in his I Have a Dream speech, because I was, I was wondering why Kaepernick was kneeling and all these NFL players were kneeling, why everybody was mad, Black Lives Matter blowing up stuff, fighting. And I heard King say this. He said, 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Negro is still not free. And I said, that was it. That's the poison pill. Because like I said, that was a lie because I was born free. My freedom is a gift from God. Like John Locke said, it's irrevocable, non-transferable, and unsellable. It's an unalienable right. And Thomas Jefferson said that these unalienable rights and unalienable rights of freedom is the freedom is, is the right that we use to tell King George, uh-uh, we, you are not sovereign over us. God is sovereign over us. Our rights come from God. They do not come from government. And King said we have we're coming to government to guarantee our unalienable rights. And that's a lie. These rights come from God. He said five times in that speech that we were not free. And that's why Black Lives Matter, Kaepernick, all these young black people now are always marching and fighting and raising hell in the street because they think that government can give them their freedom. Ask them if they're not free, if they're free. No, I'm not free. So then King said, when will we be satisfied? He said, we will never be satisfied. Not until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's a fancy way of saying never. Jesus Christ said, my peace, I leave with you. If you keep your mind on me, I'll keep you in perfect peace. And King is saying that unless the white man does this or that for us, we will never, ever have peace. It's an unchristian concept where you let another man control your peace. Even in that great statement where all of us talk, where all of us recite when he said, I have a dream that one day I will not be judged by the color of my skin or by the content of my, well, my four little children will not be judged by the color of their skin or by the content of their character. Well, there's things wrong with that. Because number one, ain't nothing wrong with the color of my skin. God made me black and he said he made me beautiful. And I'm not going to be apologizing for it and running behind some white racist saying, sir, please look over the color of my skin, please. Not me, never me. And then he, 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 he said that he was dreaming about a day that they wouldn't judge me by it. But my Christian faith tells me that I'm not just supposed to be concerned at all about how I'm viewed by man. I'm supposed to be concerned about how I'm viewed by God only and then myself. If you hate me, that's your problem. I'm supposed to love you. If you do me wrong, I do you right. You cheat me, I do you right. But that don't mean that you have a right to put your hands on me. You don't take my love for weakness. If you hate me, that's your problem. You put your hands on me, you have another one. And if you do put your hands on me, I got two things that'll get you off me. That's Jesus in my 38. You better not try me. So he's walking around telling us that. 
And then he's and 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 and, and then he tells us on some certain day we'll be free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. Still telling us that we are not free. That I have a dream speech as I started researching, found out it was written by two communists, Clarence Jones, Stanley Levinson. Who was Stanley Levinson? Bayard Rustin, another communist, introduced Martin Luther King Jr. to Stanley Levinson, the number one communist in America. Vince, hold for one second, because you're unpacking a lot, and I definitely want to get to that, to Stanley Levinson, Bayard Rustin, and all that, but, but I, you, you got so much good content, I just want you to clarify and, and make sure I'm hearing it correctly. Ralph Abernathy, very, very close to Dr. King. You're yes. saying in Ralph Abernathy's book, he acknowledges or says or claims Martin Luther King sleeping with multiple women before they I have a dream speech. Did I hear you correctly on that? Yeah, no, it was the mountaintop speech. The mountaintop speech in Memphis the night before he died at the Lorraine Motel. Gotcha. He had, he had done the mountaintop speech. They left. The cover story for that night was that they had gone to Ben Hooks' house, who was over the NAACP at the time. He was, uh, uh, well, I don't think he was over the NAACP, but he was a big black preacher in Memphis. And they said they had gone to Ben Hooks' house for dinner, and they had come back to the Rain Motel. But Abernathy said that was a lie. That was a cover story. Actually, they had gone to this lady's house. King went back there and slept with her. Then they went to the Rain Motel, and there was a lady there by the name of Annie. It was Georgia Powers. She was the first black um, senator from the state of Kentucky. And um, and she was a she was a sitting senator at that time. King saw her at the Rain Motel. She was there waiting for him. She wrote a book about this suit called "I Live the Dream," and she and she she admits that she and King got together that night and had a had a, had a, had, a, had a tryst, a sexual tryst. Well, Dorothy Cotton, who they say was King's second wife, she saw all these shenanigans going on and she got mad about it. Now, Ralph Abernathy did not call her name, but later on. In a in a in in a, in a in a in a in a in a interview, she admitted that it was her. She confronted King about all the stuff he was doing, and he beat her up in the Rain Motel. She left and went home. And later on that afternoon, when King got assassinated, and this is what Ralph Abernathy wrote. This is what he said, and um, it's just a fact. They 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 have the FBI tapes of uh, all the orgies and things that he was involved in because. Of course, you know, they found out he was hanging out with communists and he started they started uh, putting these wiretaps in his room to make sure that uh, the communists didn't have too much control over him. And they found out he was a libertine, that uh, he was running so, around with these preachers and he was having all these orgies and all this kind of thing. And that's who he was. So the King defenders will say, so, you know, the founding fathers, they own slaves, the founding fathers uh, raped slaves. You know, you know, who cares about, you know, what they were doing in their personal life? My contention is uh, I'm judging the founding fathers on the documents, the founding documents. And what's the legacy of those founding documents? The Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. And, and, and I look at those documents and say, I don't care about your personal life. If this is a representation of your life's work, the Declaration mm -hmm. of Independence and U.S. Constitution, I'm on board with you because those documents were used to free me from slavery or free my ancestors from slavery in Jim Crow and segregation and all the, the discrimination. Those documents stand the test of time. 
Your argument, which I am on board with and, and agree with, but I don't want to be putting words in your mouth, but the, civil, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, its legacy and what it justified, it's not the same as the Declaration of Independence and U.S. Constitution. The LGBTQ, the alphabet mafia, as I call them, have used that to promote same-sex marriage and transgenderism and all that other stuff, diversity, equity, inclusion, which is the enemy of merit. The King's document that he gets credit for doesn't, have, doesn't bear the same kind of great fruit that the Declaration of Independence the U.S. Constitution, and I think your argument is that I agree with is that perhaps King, because of his sexual perversions, was okay with the 64 Civil Rights Act bearing perverted fruit. You're exactly right. Look, Jesus uh, told his disciples, how will you know a false prophet? His answer was, you will know them by the fruit they bear. You will not get good fruit from a bad tree or bad fruit from a good tree. Each tree and its fruit will be after its own. When you look at the black community and you see that we have five times more men in prison than before Martin Luther King Jr. When you see that the black family has been destroyed, we had 80% of our children being born in the in red life before Martin Luther King. Now we have 80% being born out after King. When you look at the educational system, I did a podcast uh, the, 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 the other day showing that um, uh, the, the, the educational department in the, the federal government says that 85% of our black children are not proficient in, in reading or in math, 85%. So the education system is destroyed. You look at uh, that we are the poorest people in America that a, a, a that an illegal can come over the Rio Grande and in one year make more money than a black man that's been here for 20 generations. So that so our economy is destroyed. You look at what they've done to our church. The black church is dying. It's dying. I did a chapter on that in my book, uh, Crime Inc. I talk about how the black church has been dying for the last 20 years. And so, the, so they destroyed the black church. What did they do well? Only one thing. Got a bunch of Marxists and perverts and psychopaths elected to the Democrat Party, which is what they wanted. That's why King is celebrated. You go to his monument in Memphis, Tennessee. There's no mention of God on it. Not even that he's a reverend. That's not a mistake, man. That is a confession. They knew who they were. And if you go online and you look up Virgil Walker, Walker uh, takes him to task on his Christianity. And he, and he takes it apart and says the king was, king was not a Christian. And he has documentation in his writings, say he didn't believe in the virgin birth. He didn't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe in the divinity of Christ. Now, this is what Virgil Walker says. He's a doctor. He studied king. And he hits him on, on the ecclesiastical side. I hit him more on, like you said, what the fruits of his political labor what they what they produce. But then when you look at that and you look at his private life, you say it matches. You know, that he lived this way, his fruit produced this, and they both match. And the black community is in worse shape because of King, but that's what they wanted. They need to have black men emasculated. You you saw the Super Bowl the other night, man. More people watched the Super Bowl than watched the that gum moon landing. Who was out there playing, Jason? A bunch of brothers out there leading it on the field. And the reason why America loves those brothers is because they know they earned it. And you look at them and you know that you got this generation of supermen. They have the ability mentally and physically. They have the whole world look at them and say, what did I just see? And you say, no, 
The Democrat Party, they can never know their power. If they ever know their power, we can never control them. And they've been emasculating us since we've been here. You know the story. I ain't got to tell you about it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what they've done to black men for the past 220 years. And it's all come down from the Democrat Party. The part of slavery from 1800 to 1860. The part of the Confederacy from 1860 to 1865. The part of Jim Crow from 1865 to 1965. And now... They're the party of murder, transgenderism, abortion up to the ninth month, an evil institution. What did they say in the book of Genesis when they found out that the children of Israel had gotten too large and was too many? They said, we got to deal with them. They went to the midwives and said, whenever you see a boy child, kill him. Kill him. In the head, in the body, wherever. But make sure you take his life. And they've been killing us for the last 220 years in this country. But now, Jason, me and you going to wake them up and we're going to choose life. Well, Vince, I, I do. Virgil uh, is a partner of ours on this show, comes on the show all the time. And we've we've had him on to talk about King's flawed theology and all of that. So you're, you're referencing a great name there. Virgil, let, I mean, not <laughs> Vince, let me take care of a little more business. And I want to go to what I really think is the most powerful point you make in the documentary, and you've already made it on this show, but I, I wanna zero in on it, but give me a second to take care of a little business. Uh, guys, I wanna talk to you about Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered. My good friend Sarah Gonzalez is now hosting Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered, everyone's favorite spicy Latina coming to you five nights a week with a no-holds-barred take on news, politics, and culture. She's also joined by regular guests and newsmakers to help make sense of all the madness you can watch on Blaze TV, the Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered YouTube channel, or listen wherever you get your podcast. The show looks great. It's vintage Sarah. I also never know where she's going to take a story or what she has to say. Tune in and check it out, Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered. Vince, I want to go back to what I really think is, is a very, very powerful point that let, when I saw it in the documentary, when I saw it in the trailer, light bulbs just went off in my head. It's like, he has nailed it. He has nailed it. And it's the whole conversation about where does our freedom come from? Mm. And how did we reach the conclusion that it came from man and government when these founding documents and the Declaration of these come from our creator, it's, it's stated in the founding documents that mm -hmm. your rights and freedoms come from God. And it, those founding documents are why we had to end slavery because, they're, <laughs> hey, we're out of line with our creator. And these That's people right. have the same creator as us and their freedom comes from him. And if we're denying it to them, we're in disobedience to God and we're basically the devil. Right. Who got black people to believe that their freedom came from the government and man and it's Dr. King. And so when I heard you make this point, I was like, oh, my God. When Remember a couple years ago, Kanye said uh, slavery was a choice and people right. castigated him and criticized mm -hmm. him. And, and it's like Kanye was right. And, and all of us that for a minute that thought he was wrong, we're the idiots. And if we really looked at the world from a biblical worldview, we wouldn't be looking for man or government to give us something God already gave us. It's a powerful point, Vince. Brother, it is. And when I had that epiphany, 
I had to share it because like you, Jason, I've been brought up in the black community and everybody from the black preacher to the politician to the civil rights worker tells me we had to turn the government. And our God is a jealous God. You know, the first commandment is I'm, I, 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 you should have known the God before me. Uh, 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 you, I, I'm, I am your father. You are my child. You come to me for what you need. And for the uh, hundred, for the first hundred years after the civil, uh, after the civil war, that's what we did. And we made more progress the hundred years after the civil war than we made in the past 50 years, because we have jettisoned that ideology. And it came from the civil rights movement. You know, when King said, we come to, you know, I heard him say uh, right before the poor people's march, we're coming to Washington to get our check. You know, he said that uh, they, 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 they tell us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. How can we pull ourselves by our bootstraps when we're bootless? You walked around telling black people that white racists had the ability to stop the children of God. That they had more power than Jesus Christ. And we had to turn to government to defeat these people. And that was a lie. We had always turned to God for years. And then all of a sudden, King and the Civil Rights Movement, which, as you know, was led by a bunch of Marxists. As a matter of fact, in, in Taylor Branch's book of, of, of America, the King Years, he said in 1956, the communists in the Civil Rights Movement were given an order from Moscow to turn the black community into a replica of the old Soviet Union. And they did it. Dictator worship, one party rule, poverty, apostate religion. And, and, and they, they, they turned us. And when you go into the inner city right now, Baltimore, Detroit, it's like a third world country compared to the rest of America. And they are being controlled by the Iron Triangle. The black preacher, black politician, black civil rights worker. And they vote 90% for the Democrat Party every single time. And they're the ones that started telling black people in unison, government, 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 government. And then, of course, in the Supreme Court case of, of Engel versus Italic, they took prayer out of schools. And immediately when they did that, Jason, we should have said, if God is not welcome here, my children are not welcome either. But no, not us. Because of Brown versus Education, Brown versus Board of Education had given black people their wish. We're going to use government schools and government power to integrate you with your former master. You're going to be able to sit on the toilet beside him, eat a hamburger beside him. And whether he educates your, your children or not, that's irrelevant. We forgot what Malcolm X said. Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet? It was a black Democrat and a white Democrat. When he said it, it, only a fool would, teach, would allow his enemy to educate his children. Well, I guess the black community was that fool because we did it. And now just look at us now. So it was a public educational system ran by the Democrats and ran by these crazy stalking Negroes in the civil rights movement that led our people down this primrose path. And now we're at a tipping point where we have the ability, like you right now, to go online and start telling the truth. And when you tell them the truth, they respond to it. Vince, this is an implied point in your documentary that, that you know, I, I'm going to piggyback off of and, and we need to uh, you know, promote this message or help people get this understanding. This show, we spend a lot of time talking about idolatry. I talk a lot about idolatry and racial mm -hmm. idolatry and how it's being used to bait us to walk away from God 
And, and mm-hmm. again, instead of seeing ourselves as image bearers of Christ, we see ourselves as black people. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that, that's really irrelevant. But, but when I sit here and w- when we have these deeper conversations and we really examine, uh, why did they make Dr. King such an idol? And, and again, how this connects to disconnecting us from God, because when you look at the 60 some odd years since his assassination or 50, what, 54 years, 56 years. I'm not good at math. 56 years. What, <laughs> I'm not good at math. However long it's been, six, nearly six decades. The black man at this point, the, the, the culture, popular culture, Hollywood, uh, the Democrat Party has made the black man in MLK's image. Mm-hmm. Sexual deviant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, secular. Uh, you know, I don't know if King used drugs, but or drank, but you'd probably have to in order to do some of the things that he allegedly was involved in. And, and so, uh, sexually fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and and see, anytime you start seeing another man or the government as your ultimate provider, you've been completely emasculated. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Dr. King emasculated. And, mm-hmm. and so instead of Jesus Christ being our foundation of understanding of how we want to live and how we want to represent ourselves, they've given us this new idol, MLK, and everybody's trying to be a version of MLK because anything goes. You know, whatever pleasure you want to enjoy, it's all there for you. And, and, and we wonder why Jesse Jackson, you know, we pretend like Jesse Jackson diminished Dr. King, but the reality is he just mimicked him. And that Al Sharpton, mm-hmm. he didn't diminish uh, Martin Luther King, he's just mimicking him. And, right. and so they gave us this new idol and, and, you know, Charlie Kirk, after you were on his show, they, you know, everybody tried to put Charlie Kirk in the crosshairs for, for complaining like, hey, man, MLK's approval is higher than Jesus Christ's approval. Mm-hmm. 96% of Americans, hey, MLK, and only 90% Jesus, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and we have to come out of this idolatry because idolatry is dangerous and will lead, it's at the root of all evil. Uh, But we've been made in MLK's image. We're looking at at a black man in popular culture and throughout the culture that's been made in MLK's image and we have to man up and reject that. Jason, you are so correct. You hit the nail right on the head. That is the prototypical man, king for the last 50 years and now they're trying to replace him with George Floyd. And they're trying to put them right together. I was on Tucker Carlson's show. You know, you and I both know Tucker well, the great man. And I, I talked about how, you know, he asked me why were they elevating George Floyd like they were. And I said, because he's that prototypical black man. He was poor. He was unemployed. He was a drug addict. He was a convict. Uh, he was down there begging white folks not to kill him. And to them, wherever you find a bunch of George, George Floyds, they win. They want to create George Floyds because they vote for the Democrat Party. King is the same way. He's nonviolent. It's begging white people to, to sit on the toilet beside him, begging white people to protect him. He wouldn't protect himself. No, 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 no. He called the police. 
And this is what this is another point that, that, that I make about King when they try to say he was nonviolent. I make the point, like, you know, on Godfather, I know you've seen it, where uh, they talked about the story where Vito was trying to get uh, his godson out of his contract with his band leader. He And the band leader wouldn't do it, so he called his hitman, Mr. Luca Brasi. He said that Luca put a gun to the guy's head and said either uh, the guy's brains or his con- or his, uh, his brains or his signature would be on the contract. Now, was, what, now was Vito calling on violent for using a third party to do his violence? And, you know, you say yes. Okay, well, Martin Luther King Jr. wants to set on a lunch counter, eat a hamburger. White racist says no. King said, I'll be right back. This time he gets a law change, brings the federal government. Federal government puts a gun to the guy's head. So either Martin Luther King or your brains are going to be on that lunch counter. King sits down and eat. Now, how was King not violent also? He used the violence of government. Our Christian religion tells us you do not use government to get what you want. You change the person's heart. You say that if you won't let me eat at your restaurant, I'll build a restaurant and you can eat at mine for free. You tell them, if you don't let me go to your school or my son go, I'll build a better school and your children go to mine for free. Jesus said, let your light shine so people might see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. He didn't call on the Romans to turn mankind into Christians. He said, Christians, walk the walk. Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Instead, Martin Luther King Jr. did use one of the tools of the devil because in the book of Corinthians, they said that 11 people will not join the kingdom of heaven. One is the extortioner. What is an extortioner? A person who uses threats, boycotts, sit-ins, aggravating, put a gun to your head. You're going to give me what I want. Stalking. Coercing people. We don't do that as Christians. We change their hearts. And I go by a line that the great Muhammad Ali says, it's a sick mind that wants to be somewhere where you're not wanted. And Ali was so great. That even as a black Muslim walking around talking about black white, white folks was the devil, white folks still love them. Now that's greatness. The the point, the other half of that argument is when your goal is to change hearts, it's actually going to strengthen you. Mm. Because if we had gone with the approach of, oh, I can't sit at your lunch counter. So I'm going to build my own lunch counter and the food's going to be so good. My community is going to come and your community is going to want to come because and, and now all of a sudden that shop owner, he's the power player. He has the leverage in the community. He can now employ people. He's not dependent upon. He's not begging anybody else to take care of him. That's the, 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 the it, it's not a we've so emasculated Christianity that we don't even understand its masculinity and power. And that if you really want to be a real man, you adopt these concepts and and all of a sudden, again, there's a power switch. And so if that man's heart don't change, his power is going to reduce while yours rises and elevates. And, 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 King and a lot of these ministers that are mimicking King, that's not where, what they're preaching from the pulpit. That's not what they're teaching from the pulpit. They've taken a check. And, and they've, they're, again, many of these churches, they're not teaching the teachings of Jesus Christ. They're teaching whatever the Democrat Party uh, once taught. And that what they're teaching is government dependency. And that's why... People want to dis. Oh, so what if he hung out with Marxists? 
So what if he, you know, hung out with communists? Well, actually, there's repercussions from that. And that may have influenced the policies. That's why I do want you to spend some time about the evidence and the history of Dr. King's relationship with Stanley Levinson and other communists and Marxists and Bayard Rustin and just how the alphabet mafia was put in. The communists and the LGBTQ are at the foundation of the civil rights movement. Yes. Yeah, man, they were at the beginning of it. Matter of fact, uh, Bayard Rustin was openly gay, as you know. And uh, he went down to, um, to to Montgomery when they were doing the Montgomery bus boycott uh, to investigate, see what was going on, see if there could be a flashpoint. And of course, he saw Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr. is magic. I mean, the guy was charismatic. Uh, he was a great orator. Very, very intelligent. Brave. It's no, that's just, there's no doubt about that. And Bayard Rustin basically called Stanley Levinson and said, I think we got our guy. And so he, had, he, he, he introduced Martin Luther King Jr. to Stanley Levinson. And Stanley Levinson was, in fact, the number one communist in America. There's no doubt about that. The FBI was watching him. He raised money for, for the Communist Party here in America and sent it back to Moscow. But then Stanley called Moscow and said, I think we got our movement leader here in the United States of America. And the communists started bankrolling the, bankrolling the civil rights movement out of Moscow. And Stanley Levinson was, was the um, uh, main financier for the civil rights movement. He and Clarence Jones and Barrett Rustin, uh, they even um, put together the paperwork to start the SELC, the Southern Christian um, uh, Leadership Conference, Kings of Kings organization. They did the paperwork. He got all of King's bookings. He wrote, he, he edited his books. He set up, he was his agent. He did everything for King. And he also made sure that King got uh, $10,000 a year, which the equivalent is almost almost like $100,000 a year now from the communists. That's just a fact. So people thinking King was taking a vow of poverty, wasn't getting any money. Yeah, he was getting paid pretty good. So Stanley Levinson was hooking all of this up. The civil rights movement was going fine. Then all of a sudden, when they started doing the March on Washington, John F. Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy was involved in this, and they found out about these communists. Well, Deke DeLoach down at the Justice Department told King to cut these guys loose. King wouldn't do it. So Bobby Kennedy told King to cut these guys loose. He wouldn't do it. So right before the march, they met with John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office. John F. Kennedy brought King out to the Rose Garden because he thought the Oval Office might be bugged. And he told, and he was giving King top secret information. And he said to King, he said, I know you know that you're under surveillance. That's lawyer talk for saying you're under surveillance. He said, you got three communists in your organization you got to let go. He said, you got Stanley Levinson, Jack O'Dell, who was the executive director of the SELC. He was a communist. And Bayard Rustin, you got to cut these guys loose. King wanted to argue with Kennedy and say that they weren't. And King Kennedy said, look, man, I'm the president of the United States of America, and I know these guys. You think I just pulled their name out of the hat? Cut them loose. King said he would. Well, uh, of course, Jack Hoover didn't believe him. So he found out about this communist meeting down in Dorchester, Georgia. He set up some cameras to see who was going to be there. And lo, here comes Martin Luther King Jr. with this nest of spies. He took the pictures back to Bobby Kennedy and said, I thought he was going to cut these guys loose. And that's when they started wiretapping him. Bobby Kennedy gave the okay for the wiretaps because they were affiliated with King now. And they were trying to press the civil rights movement because the, the, the way Americans were treating black people was one of the communist party in Russia's number one talking points. And they wanted to kill that at the UN. And they were going to use the civil rights movement to do it. So they wanted to make sure that King wasn't uh, under the control of communists. And here's the thing, Jason. They always talk about how, how, how Hoover hated King, how he hated him, hated him, hated him. 
One thing people don't know, there was a group of brothers called the Revolutionary Action Movement. They called RAM. And RAM was was very, 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 very militant. Uh, Tupac Shakur's uh, stepfather and, and mom was with him. And uh, they had decided they were going to uh, assassinate the, the members of the Civil Rights Movement. Everybody except Martin Luther King Jr. because RAM was communist and they were too. So they were going to kill, they were going to kill Whitney Young for the Urban League. They were going to kill uh, the guy over the NAACP. They were going to kill them all. Hoover had infiltrated RAM, found out about it. Now, if Hoover hated black folks in the Civil Rights Movement, he would have let RAM kill the members of the Big Seven and he would have said black on black crime. I had nothing to do with it. And he would have let us, and he would have let it happen. Instead, Hoover infiltrated Ram, found out about it, told all these guys about it, saved their lives, and then uh, uh, took the people in Ram and locked them up, and the rest of them went into exile. So when people say that Hoover hated the civil rights movement, that's a lie, because if he had hated them, he would have let Ram came and wipe them out and would have said, well, look at this, black people killing black folks. Lord have mercy. That was the situation. And to your point about black men being emasculated, one point, people think that the most surveilled black man in America was Martin Luther King Jr. at that time. Uh, no, it wasn't. Then they said, well, it must have been Malcolm X. No, it wasn't. The most surveilled black man in, in America by the FBI was Elijah Muhammad for the Nation of Islam. Now, why would you be concerned about Elijah Muhammad? He didn't have a big movement. He wasn't trying to change the law. Matter of fact, the nation didn't kill nobody white. If the nation was killing somebody, it was killing black folks. They feared Elijah Muhammad because Elijah Muhammad told black men, I'm not gonna let you be emasculated. He told them, you're gonna stand up. You're gonna stop the drugs. You're gonna take care of your wife and your children. You're gonna work for a living. You're gonna elevate yourself morally and virtuously. And that scared the federal government to death. And they surveilled Elijah Muhammad, put him and Malcolm against each other and destroyed the nation behind it. The nation's, the nation's religion was wrong. I don't agree with their religion. But their concept on how you're supposed to live as a man, I have no problem with it whatsoever. And that's what they feared. Nobody's going to be believing that Farad Muhammad was God and that he's running, he's up around in a spaceship floating around. Nobody was concerned about that. He was concerned about teaching black men to stand up like they were supposed to stand up in the United States of America. And that is something that the Democratic Party could not have. Mm. That's, I'm going to have to marinate on that. That, that. That's, I did not know that about Elijah Muhammad being more surveilled than MLK and Malcolm X. It makes sense. Uh, yeah, the other where Netflix, I thought Jason, it's uh, on Netflix. It's called the um, Who Murdered Malcolm X? And I, I, I watched the whole thing. And David Garrow was in it uh, with this guy who was um, trying to find out who actually murdered Malcolm X. And they found out who did it in this documentary, without a doubt. And he, he talked about that, that, that Elijah Muhammad was more, more surveilled than Malcolm or Martin Luther King. And he got all of this information from, from the, the surveillance of, of, of Elijah Muhammad. So yeah, that's where it came from. The, where I thought you were going is, is because they, they've done such a great job of, of uh, sanitizing Dr. King's history and, and, and you know turning him into this idol that, that was worshiped that people aren't aware that there were actually people in the black church, per se, or in the black movement at that time, religious faith-based movement, that were really uncomfortable with yes. Dr. King and him being apostate, and he got excommunicated from, uh, is it the Southern Baptist Convention? or any, Walk us through that. Yeah, it was 1961. 
Um, and Martin Luther King Jr. got his um, his marching orders from the common term that he was supposed to take over the National Baptist Convention. Now, that convention was the largest black organization in America. Between eight and 10 million black people belonged to it. And uh, a bunch of old heads were running it. And, you know, these guys believed that you were supposed to obey the law. They weren't really concerned about segregation because black people were doing pretty well. So uh, Martin Luther King Jr. wanted to use it for um, uh, uh, the, the National Baptist Convention for Civil Rights. And there was an older guy by the name of Bishop Jackson that said no. So Martin Luther King was told by Stanley Levinson, you need to take this organization over. So they were going to try to do it at the convention held in Kansas City, Missouri in 1961. And King and his boys were going to, was going to um, force a, uh, a, a vote on the floor of the convention. And they were going to just fly down on the floor, force this voice vote. And uh, King's guy, I forget his name, I think it was Kierce, was going to take over the, the, the National Baptist Convention and use it for the Civil Rights Movement. Well, they go down there, fist fight breaks out. I mean, it gets violent. The whole thing turns into a riot. They kill a black preacher on the floor, one of Bishop Jackson's friends. It fractures his skulls and kills him. And, and Bishop Jackson holds King responsible for, for this. Well, King loses the, 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 the vote. Jackson remains president of the National Baptist Convention, and they excommunicate Martin Luther King Jr. from the National Baptist Convention. Yes, King was excommunicated from the black church. So what did King do? Him and that little group of preachers he had formed their own religion. And it's called the Progressive National Baptist Convention. And because the names were so close, people actually thought that King was still with the Baptist Convention. He wasn't. He was excommunicated. And the Progressive National Baptist Convention is an apostate group of people. Matter of fact, uh, our senator from Georgia, Mr. Raphael Warnock, belongs to that group. And they believe in abortion, LGBTQ. They're a bunch of libertines, man. And King and his group got together, and they just went hog wild. I mean, that's where the orgies and the gay sex and the drunkness and the, all the mess came from. These guys were out of the Baptist Convention. They could do what they wanted, and they did exactly what they wanted. Another thing about King a lot of people don't know. Uh, Margaret Sanger, as you know, Jason, started Planned Parenthood. Uh, you know, she had the Negro Project as a side project called Black People Human Weeds. And that her, 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 that her, her plan was to exterminate the whole black race. Well, guess who was the first recipient of the Margaret Sanger Award? Martin Luther King Jr., 1966. Yeah, he was having Margaret Sanger set up abortion clinics in the black community to a point where Margaret Sanger gave him an award. And when people say, well, King didn't know what was going to happen, da 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 I say, it was very funny that his family never gave the award back. They still have it. They're still proud of it. Martin Luther King Jr. was a, was a man behind the, was behind the uh, uh, man out clause in welfare. People say it's LBJ. No. The Moynihan Report, 1965. Patrick Moynihan said, we got to put the black man back at the head of his family. Welfare is destroying it. He took it to LBJ. LBJ said, cool, we'll take this to the civil rights community, get them to sign off on it. Meg George Bundy was with Moynihan because they were uh, he was on the Ford Foundation. They were setting up a retreat for King and the civil rights people. And he said, come with me. We'll go down there to this retreat and you can deliver this to, to MLK. McGeorge Bundy was present when Patrick Moynihan delivered it to them. And he said, it's a wonder Moynihan got out of that room alive. He said they cussed him out, called him everything but a child of God. And the feminists said, we don't want to use welfare to put the black man in charge. We want to use welfare to put the woman in charge of the family because, as the feminists say, and, and all these women livers, family is like slavery. So they went to the White House and told LBJ, 
that we don't want to use welfare to put the man in charge. We want to use it to put the woman in charge. And they demand it, that the man out, man in house calls be put in welfare. They said if the man is called at home, the house cannot get welfare. And King was all behind it. And in one generation, the black community went from having um, uh, 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 80% of their children been born in red lock, 80% been born out. And it wasn't LDJ. It was MLK. And this is going to add more evidence to it. LBJ did the Great Society. He gave everybody what they wanted. And Martin Luther King Jr. said it wasn't enough. And right before he died, as you recall, Jason, he was um, uh, organizing the Poor People's March. He wanted more, more than the Great Society. He wanted $30 billion at that time, which is basically a quarter of the U.S. Uh, budget. That would be the equivalent of over $2 billion now. He wanted it for, for free housing, free medical care, free food, free everything. And he's going to take a million people to Washington, D.C. and shut Washington down until he got it. So when I, all these people are talking about LBJ, 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 no, it was MLK. He wanted more. He was a socialist. He was a Marxist. And if people can say what they want to say, watch his actions. And they were the actions of a Marxist. I want to, and I think you said $2 billion when you meant to say $2 trillion. I'm sorry, you corrected. Thank you for uh, correcting, Jason. You're exactly yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, two trillion. And 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 but the other thing I want to hammer on is the people, the black ministers that objected, National Baptists, uh, and, and just others that were like, hey, segregation, I'm not sure if this needs to end. Look at how we're closing the poverty gap, the wealth mm -hmm. gap. Black people before the civil rights movement. We're making incredible progress, yes. incredible progress. And then it all stops in 1968 and it's yes. never recovered. Is that accurate? That is completely accurate. We had um, closed the poverty gap. We had we shrunk poverty from, from like 80 percent to 30 percent between 1940 and 1960. Uh, Tuskegee Institute before 1905 had created more self-made millionaires then Harvard, Yale, and Princeton combined. That comes out of Ford Mag Forbes magazine. Think about that now. More self-made millionaires than Harvard, Princeton, and, 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 and Yale combined. Tuskegee had done that. When uh, Southern schools were giving black children a third of what they were giving white children for education, Booker T. Washington called uh, 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 this Jewish gentleman that was over um, uh, uh, Sears and Roebuck. Mr. Walswald, and asked him to start helping him set up schools in the South for black children. The Walswald schools set up five, over 5,000 schools and educated over 700,000 black children between 1917 and 1932. These were private schools set up by Booker T. Washington and a white Jewish person. They did not go to government. They went straight to the people and it responded. And as soon as we uh, uh, were allowed to integrate in Brown, when they told us that separate, and look, and in Brown versus Board, Board of Education, they say that the schools had been equalized in curriculum, in, in teacher salaries, in buildings, in everything. And we said, that's fine. We want to integrate. Not with good Christian white folks. Uh-uh, we want to integrate with the Ku Klux Klan and George Wallace who said, I hate you, that threw a stick of dynamite 
into a church and blew up four little girls who we saw at the Little Rock Nine, what they did to our children. We saw what they did to Ruby Bridges down in New Orleans when all those people left that school and were showing that little girl a picture of a, a black baby in a coffin. And she had to go to that school for a year by herself. And we said we want to integrate with that. And they said what they were going to do to our children. And look what they've done to them. You do not segregate on account of race, ever. But you do segregate on account of hate. You do segregate on account of incompetence. And you definitely segregate when a person says, if you come into my mess, I'm going to kill you. Nevertheless, Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement sent our children into a lion's den. And now 85% cannot read and cannot count. And we try to wonder what went wrong. Mm. Vince, uh, I, I think you're sitting on a powerful message. I think you're spreading a powerful message. Uh, uh, your documentary is great. Your voice is great. I, I think you got the right background uh, to sound this message. So glad to have you on this show. I'm going to, as soon as you know, I let you off the show, I'm going to follow up with an email because uh, we do an event here in T Nashville uh, called Roll Call. And it's, it's about bringing, it's a men's summit, and we'd love to have you come. You, you're familiar with Tennessee. Maybe even have your brothers come. It would be an honor, Jason. I mean, an absolute honor. And I will, and I will bring some more good people to it. It would be an honor to come. I'd love to come to something like that. Please, please invite me. Yeah, uh, we're going to do that uh, as soon as, you know, we hang up here. But And, and I want to have you back on the show whenever you want. I, I, I certainly saw you on Tucker. That's when I first saw you. And I was like, man, who is this dude? Uh, and and then when I saw that promo, this trailer, I was like, oh, this this dude, he's carrying the message. And and he's got a passion for it. He's done the research. He's done the homework, written the books. Uh, Vince, I think you're awesome. And, and so, you know, want to invite you into the Fearless Army and be an asset for you. And, and ho hopefully, I know you can be an asset for us. Uh, thank you so much uh, for the time today and uh, hope to meet you in person very soon. We will, Jason. And before I leave, I want to tell you what our founding father said at the end of the Declaration of Independence. This is why I have so much respect for these men. They said, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, which is God, he said, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. They said they would die before they'd be a slave. Die. My rights come from God. King George said, no, they didn't. They said, well, come over here and see if you can take them. I say right now, I don't ask government for my rights or any man for my rights. I defy them to come take it from me. We stand strong. We stand as men, free men, Americans, heirs of Jesus Christ, children of the living God. I am not inferior to anyone. Anyone. No one has any type of superiority over me or privilege over me. We are Americans, heirs to the most powerful nation in the world, and heirs of Jesus Christ, heirs to the most powerful kingdom in the world. And you know what? They actually want to be humble. But this is me humble. You should see me when I'm arrogant. Thank you, brother. I love you. Thank you, Vince. Love you, too. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, what a way to end our week. 
Uh, wow. And, and I mean, man, does he really hammer the messages we've been trying to get across on Fearless. Again, who do we really answer to? The government? Man? Who, who, where, do, where does our freedom come from? Where do our rights come from? They come from God. And all these people running around talking about I'm oppressed and if the white man don't do this or do that, I can't be happy. That's an emasculated man. That's an emasculated mindset. And, and black women have that mindset because black men have that mindset. You cannot, anybody running around talking about I'm oppressed is not a Christian. They're telling you, I don't believe in God. Because if you're with Jesus, you're not oppressed. You're just not, that's just a fact. So ain't that victim, anybody at your church preaching that victim stuff, you're not at a church. You're at the Satan Sunday meeting inside a building that used to be called a church. All right, uh, that's tomorrow. We'll see you next week. Regrets and our decisions We don't want to go to heaven with freedom It's my obligation No hate, discrimination Raising up your hands for freedom Raise up your hands for freedom I just want, I want to be I just want